0: Good morning, and welcome to episode 465 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller, and as promised, we have brought back BP's draft expert, amateur Wait. prospect expert, Nick Folares. Did you promise
1: that? I don't remember you promising that.
0: I <laughs> <We> strongly <laughs> suggested that it was a possibility, so, so we have followed through on that strong suggestion. Of course, the first couple rounds of the draft are now complete. The day before the draft, of course, all of this is is abstract. You might not want to get too invested in any one player who might not end up going to your team, but now those of you who root for particular teams have a personal stake in these players, so things got real. So now you probably want to know about the players that your team selected or didn't select, and we'll get into that now. Before we begin, let me throw something out there. You know, we, we talk all the time about the... Futility of mock drafts and how impossible it is to predict who'll be picked where is it possible that all this time? The problem with mock drafts is that I haven't been doing them because at the tail end of yesterday's episode I just I parachuted into the rumor mill I gave you all the straight draft dope with my hot Kyle Schwarber <laughs> to the Cubs pick and I, I dropped the mic or I guess more accurately I I carefully removed the mic from my desk so that I could fit my keyboard back onto it. And then 18 or so hours later, when it came time to pick fourth overall, Kyle Schwarber's name was called by the Cubs. All I'm saying is it is possible that I am a mock draft prodigy. (laughs) Unfortunately, we'll never find out because in order to preserve my perfect record, I will refrain from making any future draft predictions. Uh, But I guess we could could start with Schwarber because he was a guy who was not quite that high on on most mock drafts and as we talked about yesterday there wasn't a whole lot of separation between many of the guys after the the top few so it's it's not shocking that he went where he did but uh, tell us a little bit about him because of course there's always a ton of interest in Cubs prospects and and their system that already was regarded to be sort of skewed towards position players perhaps and Now they've added another, and so what does that do to their system also? So tell us about him and tell us about the implications for the Cubs.
2: Yeah, so this was a—you know, the Cubs might have been the most interesting team today uh, for a number of reasons. Schwarber is, uh, you know, to my mind, the the best overall college bat in the draft. Um, You know, he's got plus-to-plus-plus raw power, primarily to pull side, but he's strong enough to hit it opposite field. He's a left-handed bat. Um, he can hit for average. He, uh, one thing that I, I, absolutely loved about him, um, his advanced splits, if you break it down, uh, he actually hit, uh, his best on Friday nights, which is when he would generally be playing against, uh, you know, matching up against the ace of the other team, um, hit well with wood last year, with team USA. Uh, you know, he's got an advanced field for the strike zone. He handles the barrel. Well, I mean, this is really just a pure hitter. Uh, you know, if you look at the cub system, he fits in well with, some of their other, you know, corner power bats. And the first thing I, well, the two things I thought when they picked here, um, the first thing that jumped out is uh, I'd be shocked if he, if they weren't saving at least a million dollars on their slot allotment signing him. He didn't have a clear cut home, um, so when you talk about the fourth overall slot, uh, you know, he could have fallen for all we know to the mid first round. Um, there, there should be some savings there for the Cubs. So. That was my first thought, is they're they're, they're banking a little bit of money with this pick to maybe uh, spend on an overslot guy. The second thought was, um, you know, Schwerber's really a a first baseman, and if he were drafted to an AL team, he might be limited to DH long term. This looks to me like, you know, the Cubs may be thinking, and it's something that we've talked about on the BP prospect team, that uh, this offseason – the, you know it might make sense to package some of that excess corner power they have in their system to try and get a young cost controlled arm, um, you know rather than having to go out and uh, buy one or two on the free agency market, they can uh, you know put a couple together and go out and and go after them. maybe even someone like a, a David Price uh, and then extend them. Um, you know, that that's an option that they'll have. Um, so the, you know those are two things I thought were very interesting with the Cubs first pick. Uh, and then it got even more interesting because their second round pick, uh, which is one of Mike Farron's favorite players in the draft was Jake Stanett from Maryland. He's a senior. Um, you know he fits well in the second round from a talent standpoint. You know he's, he gets his fastball up to the mid nineties. Good life, good slider. Throws uh, throws the ball well. Uh, comes out of his hand well. Fills up the strike zone. Uh, you know, change up is is a bit rudimentary. He's gonna have to develop it a little more, but you know, that's a guy who has absolutely no leverage and that's, you know, you'd expect him to go to a team that's looking to save money. So all of a sudden, you know, as soon as that happened, I, I started, started texting immediately with scouts trying to figure out what was going on because that was two picks where it looks to me like they could save a fair amount of money and uh, no one that I was texting with could figure out what they were saving the money for because they didn't, you know, they weren't going to pick again for another, I think, 33 picks. And, uh, you know, the, the, first thought that that uh, a couple people came back with was monte harrison who's an outfielder from Lee summit missouri uh he's a multi-sport player uh nebraska commit and had a 2.5 million dollar price tag supposedly so that would make some sense but you know when that name was tossed out to me i, I thought there are too many teams that have extra money that could pop him in the next 36 mm-hmm. i'd be surprised if you're right i mean can you it's-
0: plan for that sort of thing like you know determine your first couple picks based on one guy who who might very well not be there when it's your turn to pick again
2: well absolutely we and i think we talked on talked about that a little bit yesterday that that's part of the problem with with some of this gamesmanship is you you you, it's not just a matter of freeing up the money you've got to be able to have the opportunity and you've got to be relatively confident that you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna be able to implement that plan because you know what happens when your next pick comes around, and let's say you had two or three guys you wanted to spend on it. If you were beaten to the punch, now you've just got a bunch of money you're sitting on. So it'll be interesting to see what the Cubs do with their third round pick tomorrow. Um, you know there there are a couple signability guys that that they could certainly make a run at if they, you know with that extra money. Uh, Keith Weisenberg, uh, a Stanford commit. Uh, he's a, a Florida high school pitcher. Jackson Reitz is another Nebraska commit. He's a uh, Nebraska catcher, really toolsy guy. Played with the USA uh, Olympic team. Uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not Olympic, the 18th International team. Um, you know, so, there, I mean, there there are guys out there. Uh, Dylan Seas, another a Georgia high school right-hander. Uh, but it, it just, it, it seems odd. I mean, it, it seems like a lot of savings for, you know, probably limited options by the time they're picking tomorrow and you still have the marlins and the astros who have extra money picking ahead of you so so you could have you know two or two or three more overside guys off the board before the cubs even get to pick tomorrow
1: well you just answered my my question i was going to ask if there are any other teams that that look as though they have uh slot savings in their early picks Are, are there any others besides the astros and the marlins and and with the astros and the marlins is it uh do you get the sense that it's it's deliberate in the way that they picked or is it just that it's with this draft class it's hard to spend the number one and number two slots uh with any of the guys who are available
2: well that's it so if you break down uh, if you break down the bonus pool allotments in the aggregate the astros and the marlins are uh, leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else they're they're at like 13 or 14 million total and then i think after that it drops down to like 10 million and then uh, you know the average is somewhere around 5 million so i mean they've they've got just uh, an inordinate amount of money compared to almost everyone else um now they're, they're going to spend some of that i mean brady aiken's going to isn't going to be cheap he's going to be you know 5.5 six million dollar guy um but uh, but they've got money to you know they've, they've got money to spend so if there are some of those overslot guys hanging around out there that are actually willing to sign even if it's a two million dollar price tag you know I, I can't imagine the astros and the marlins are going to let those guys go around to to round four they're gonna be pretty aggressive tomorrow I mean right now teams are on the phone with advisors and with with players trying to gauge their signability trying to gauge their numbers and come up with a game plan tomorrow so you know you guys had to jump on and do a podcast right away everyone else is uh, is back to work and as far as especially the, the the teams that are drafting early tomorrow and have a little bit of extra money so it, it'll be you know it starts up again I think at 12:30 tomorrow afternoon it's gonna be really interesting the first you know first uh, 10 picks especially out of the sheet there
1: mm hmm
0: and so we we skipped over the the first few guys to get to Shorber, but you know the Astros took Aiken first overall. we discussed him at, at length yesterday. Kolek went to the Marlins second and Rodan ended up going to the White Sox third. And I suppose on most of the mock drafts those two those two teams were reversed, right most most people seem to have Rodan going to the Marlins if not Alex Jackson and then Chicago going with Kolek. So that was a slight surprise, I suppose but talent wise, maybe not not a particularly big difference as far as the evaluations of those two pitchers go.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean I think that you know both are certain both picks make sense. Uh you know, uh I had Aiken and Rodon as my top two talents. I had I had larger issues with Kohlik just from the risk profile, but I wholly understand you know investing in them at the top of the draft and uh, you know, it'll be really, really interesting to see what the Marlins dev staff does with them because they, they work well with power arms. This is a guy who hasn't really been exposed to advanced coaching. Um, so, they, they, I mean, they've got just a, a great starter kit here for a big power arm that they could eventually slot into the front of a rotation. So it'll be really interesting to watch Cole progress over the next couple of years and, and see how he takes the pro instruction and. And, uh, you know, basically making baseball part of his everyday life.
0: And should we assume then that, that these guys, Aiken or Kolik or Rudon, anyone who goes this early, should we assume that, that there's some sort of deal in place or that, or that the team and the player understand a basic framework of a deal? Is there, is there anyone who might go down to the wire or might even return to school? You know, who was the first player picked who comes with some serious signability concerns?
2: I think for the most part, the guys that came off the board today in general, but certainly in the early part of the first round are going to be signable as as for when they sign, um, that really depends on how how on their appetite for playing hardball. I mean, if you look at someone like uh, Kevin Gaussman, who the Orioles drafted a couple of years ago uh, he he really got great advice from his advisors. They were able to sort of wait out the process to the point where Baltimore had signed almost all of their picks and they had a couple overslot picks that they were in talks with but essentially it came down to you know gossman putting the orioles on the spot and saying look we know you have this much money left over you can go this much over your pool allotment without losing a draft pick and this is the number i want to sign and so he was a sophomore a sophomore draft eligible sophomore that had a little bit of leverage and just he and his advisor played the, uh, played the system very, very well. And he ended up, I think, he was one of the few people who got an over-slot b- uh, bonus in the top 10 picks that year. And that was a matter of waiting out the uh, process and, and putting pressure on Baltimore at the right time. So, um, you know, you may see that from, from some of these guys up top. There's no one that jumps out to me as being likely not to sign or a risk not to sign. Um, all indications are Jeff Hoffman wants to, wants to sign and get started with his rehab. Uh, the Blue Jays save money with Max Pentecost at 11, I'm sure, at least a little bit of money, which they'll turn around and then probably spend on Sean Reed Foley, who they ended up getting a great value later on this evening. And uh, I had heard his price tag might be up north of uh, $2 million. He had a Florida a commitment to Florida State. And uh, so that's someone who, you know, I guess that type of pick, you'll see how the, how the talks go. But I have to imagine the Blue Jays picked him, you know, comfortable with his number or comfortable that they could reach an agreement with him. Um, so I think, you know, as far as first round is concerned, there's no one really that jumps out as as being surprising or, um, well, I mean, I guess there were some surprises later on in the first round, like Cole Tucker, but, uh, you know, no one that doesn't, no one that looks like they'll be a difficult uh, sign.
1: So, um, so you mentioned Hoffman. Uh, Hoffman uh, went very high, not as high as he would have gone if he hadn't had Tommy John. Uh, Eric Fetty went very high, not quite as high as he would have gone if he hadn't had Tommy John. Uh, and it seems like teams are you know, able to basically price this risk into what they want to do with their, with their pick. You talked yesterday about how you basically put a dollar sign on, on each one of these guys. Um, what, what does it knock off uh, when a guy has, has Tommy John? I mean, wh- how much did Hoffman's uh, dollar value, dollar figure change uh, on your sheet um when when he had the injury. And do you get the sense that uh teams is there pretty much a consensus around this or do teams disagree strongly about what that what that change is?
2: Uh well for in both Hoffman and Fetty's case, th- their value got cut basically in half. I mean, Hoffman was uh right up there with Aiken, ahead of Rodon. Uh for me, you know, a, a six to six point five million dollar guy, kind of on, on par with maybe like a Garrett Cole um and i had him at a uh, 3.5 valuation after the surgery um and the slot for the blue jays at, at uh, number nine is uh, i think three point like 3.1 3.08 million or something like that so um you know that's that's right around where i have him, maybe a little bit of a discount even if they if they can get him to sign for slot there and they may be able to get him to sign for slightly under slot depending on how much he wants to get started and um you know if he can get on board the idea of well, we're taking on some extra risk so we have you valued at you know 2.8 million instead of 3.1 you know who knows maybe he's willing to just sign that and get started uh fetty i had as like a back part of the top 10 uh value i think it was just a little bit north of 3 million maybe like 3.25 and then after the surgery i had him at like 1.8 or 1.9 and i think that's about uh 19 he went 18 or 19 so that's like two million there so the, you know again right kind of right around the where i would expect them to go from a value standpoint and i think that um, you know teams have their own calculus for how they arrive at that value and, and how they assign risk to players and, and you know that has to do with a lot of things including mechanics and you know do we have to is this a situation where we have to overhaul someone's mechanics is you know what is the body like is there any other injury history in the, uh, you know to deal with or to consider so people have uh, teams will have their own calculus for how they Uh, assign risk associated with something like Tommy John surgery. But, uh, you know, I think as a a rough estimate, if you were to cut someone's value in half, that that, probably works pretty well in the first round.
1: And uh, Danny Knobler had a a piece today uh, that said that, uh, I'm going to quote here, at least 10 of the 30 major league organizations won't even consider drafting a pitcher if he has already had Tommy John surgery. Do you buy that? Do you think that's true?
2: No, not at all. uh, Because what that's saying is, You know, if you were to go to Jeff Hoffman and no one had picked him come round three, and you know he he were to say I'm willing to sign for four hundred thousand dollars, you're telling me there there are teams in baseball that wouldn't take a four hundred thousand dollar risk on Jeff Hoffman. I mean that 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 type of black and white rule um, to me doesn't make sense. Now maybe it's you know in real world uh, application it ends up being true because teams you know dock players enough for that existing injury that. They're generally off the board before they select, but you know, given the state of baseball today and all you know, all the arm injuries that we're seeing, it seems to me like it'd, it'd be counterproductive to cut out a whole portion of your draft population with a rule like that. I mean, I think it's a, I think you have to take it on a case by case basis.
0: So you could see how maybe the Blue Jays felt more comfortable about taking Hoffman ninth because they also had the 11th pick as compensation for not signing Bickford. But the, the Nationals had the 18th pick and they took Fetty, and that seems to be a pattern for them. If you, you know, certain teams have their identifiable trends in the draft, they, they go for the, the high risk, high ceiling guy, or they go for the, the low, you know, the high floor guy, low ceiling guy. The Nationals go for the hurt guy, the injured <laughs> guy, it seems yeah. like lately at least. And, and they've done this the last few years. In, in 2011, they took Anthony Rendon. In 2012, they took Giolito, uh, and you know those both of those picks have have worked out fairly well for them so far. Um, and
2: they, they took uh, they took Matt Perk right, had, which I guess
0: didn't him. didn't work out so well. Although that was later in the draft. So so is this uh, is this smart? Would you consider doing this if you were a scouting director? Would you would you go for the the hurt guy as they have?
2: Oh sure I mean it, it, in, in Leto's case especially I mean that guy uh, you know Leto was arguably the best the best player in that draft class and when you have a chance to go after him when you're drafting the second half of the draft I mean I, it, I think as long as you can free up the money because that was under the new slotting system so it's not like they could just throw as much money as they wanted to at him as long as you can you think you have the room to kind of manipulate your pool and and get that guy signed that's absolutely a great risk Fetty's is a, is a more interesting question because the motion's a little bit more non-traditional. He he's, has a heavy reliance on a slider. Um, and he was a very good talent. I mean, he was a top 10 talent for me, but he's not, you know, this wasn't an elite talent that, you know, you could sit there and say, oh my God, I can't believe this guy's available for us. And I think you could find comparable talent in that range. So um, at that point, I guess it comes down to, to personal preference. Either the Nationals really, really liked him or, there is something to this idea of um, kind of going after the guy that's already had his surgery and and you you having the control uh, in his uh, reconstruction, I guess how how you bring him up, how you how you sort of shape any tweaks in the mechanics, how you build up the arm strength. Um, you know, maybe there's something to that. I haven't heard that, but uh, you know, at this point, you, I guess you have to consider it considering the history.
0: Mm-hmm. And one. Early selection that we didn't really touch on yesterday is Nick Gordon who the the twins took fifth overall and a lot of people know him from the The d Gordon tom gordon connection, but can you give us a quick scouting report on him?
2: Uh, Sure, so so gordon is um, Unlike many high school up-the-middle players. He's not really a toolbox. He's he's much more um, you know advanced baseball instincts advanced feel for the game uh, you know more refinement than than upside and projection so uh, his big thing last summer is he was uh, he needed to add strength he was an undersized guy you know more resembling his brother uh, than his father from a physicality standpoint and in the offseason he worked really hard he put on about 15 pounds of you know good weight strong lean muscle and came back this spring hitting uh which with much more authority you know um generating better bat speed making more consistent hard contact and his game really just took a step to the next level offensively and that's what what evaluators were looking for he always had a good sense of the strike zone um a good idea of uh you know good timing in the box good balance a good idea of what he wanted to do but he didn't quite have the physical strength to handle, you know, elite velocity and, and spin and make those in-swing adjustments. So uh, once that happened, I mean, it, you know, the hit tool went from, you know, maybe this guy's a slightly above average hitter to, well, this guy, you know, this guy could be a, a 285, 290, maybe a 300 hitter. He's got such a good good feel for hitting, and, and now the bat speed's there. He's able to, you know, get good barrel acceleration through contact. Um, and evaluators started to think, hey you know this guy might even be able to be a 15 20 home run guy. I mean the weight looks great on him. he handles it well and um, th- there are no questions about him being able to stick up the middle. you know some teams I've heard like him better as a second baseman, but he's got such a good arm and and generally uh, handles himself well enough in the field that he's not super flashy, but I mean he's going to be able to handle shortstop, I think. Mm-hmm. And if you have a shortstop that's a 15 20 home run guy, they can hit you know 285, 290, maybe even 300 and has, Know, plus to plus plus arm and you know Average speed that I mean that's a, that's a Potential all-star
1: mm-hmm.
0: And then I think the only other top 10 Guy we haven't really talked about is Kyle Freeland who went to the Rockies Eighth overall uh, Someone in your chat and you were chatting For much of the afternoon and evening At baseball prospectus and people should go Read the transcript um, Connected Freeland To some of the Rockies other Recent picks uh, mentioned A a trend toward taking college lefties and, and seem to think that maybe they've gone for sort of low ceiling guys. Would you agree with that characterization? And, and when will we see Freeland because he, he seems like he could be one of the the quick movers.
2: Yeah. So, so Freeland's a really interesting guy. He had, um, a, a really bad start. The worst start of the year was his last start. Um, and that was the Missouri Valley conference tournament. Um, he walked four guys he went it was like uh, his, his line was like five innings, you know four hits, four walks, four runs. and those four walks represented 31% of his w- entire walk total on the year. He only walked 13 people for the whole season. Um, I mean this is a guy who really has a good feel for, for throwing the ball to both sides of the plate. Uh, good velocity, you know not elite velocity, but consistently you know 89 to 92 and he gets up, gets the four seamer up to 95, uh, 96 even at times. Um, throws the ball well to both sides of the plate, and then he's got a changeup and a slider that he can manipulate. So his changeup, he can throw sort of like a split variation. He can throw it with a little bit of fade, a little bit of cut. And then his slider, he has sort of a deeper sweeping slider, and then he can shorten it up to almost cutter action. So he, he really covers the whole velocity spectrum from about 78 miles an hour up through 95 miles an hour, and he does it from the same arm slot. Um, it's a low arm slot, which some evaluators don't like. There's some recoil in the arm. There's uh, some head whack. But it, it, doesn't, it hasn't really negatively impacted his control. His command isn't elite. I mean, within the zone, he doesn't always hit his spots. And you know, there's some concern that he may be you know, uh, you know, fly ball heavy as a pro if he can't keep the ball sort of down into the corners. But you know, th- this isn't a, a back-end guy that's a safe pick. This is a guy that's got really good stuff. He's got a track record. Um, as long as the medical, there was a question about medical. So as long as he's ready to start throwing in pro ball, you know, he can go straight to high A, um, you know, start next year in double A and and be up in the bigs at some point next year. Um, it's really, uh, you know, I thought a, a good pick. And as long as as long as the medicals check out and he's healthy, uh, you know, it's one of the one of the best arms in the entire class.
0: Mm-hmm. So according to the, the dollar values that, that you put on, guys, according to how your personal draft board looked, was there or who was the, the biggest value, the best value or, or the biggest reach? Uh, you know, was there anyone who slipped out of the first round that you expected to see there? Was there anyone who made it to the first round that you didn't expect to see there? Any, anyone that we haven't mentioned yet?
2: Well, I, we, we touched briefly on Sean Reed Foley, who's a, a Florida State commit, and he ended up lasting, I believe, all the way, all the way to the Blue Jays in the second round. And, uh, you know, I had him as a top 15 guy. Uh, you know, advanced, advanced field for three pitches, uh, showed really well throughout the summer, had a really strong spring. Uh, you know, there was a, a velocity bump through portions of the spring where he was up consistently in the mid-90s, you know, commands the ball well. Um, And I I think the issue there was just signability. Once he once he dropped out of that, you know, top 10 range, top 15 range, I think teams that were in the 20s were maybe that maybe that's where they had him um, because there is limited projection in the body. Uh, you know maybe they just weren't confident that let's say the you know the, the asking price was two point five million million and your slot is two million, you don't necessarily wanna to have to go over slot right there. There was a lot to choose from. So I think that that, that he slipped maybe because of sign, for assignability purposes. Mm-hmm. Michael Chavis, who ended up going to the Red Sox and the Red Sox just had a monster draft. They just really nailed it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, I had him as a potential three million guy and they got him at the end of the first round and I'm sure he's gonna sign for for slot and, and I think that's like 1.8 million where they got him. So that's I mean to me that's like 1.2 million in surplus value. That's close to the best value they got. The other one they got was uh, Michael Kopech, who I had as a potential two million dollar guy, and they got him after Shavis. So they got uh, you know by my calculations almost five and a half million dollars of value for you know less than four million dollars of investment, which is pretty huge.
0: Mm-hmm. And my last question: you've you've been following the draft very closely, you know, reading everything, talking to people. Have you heard anyone with a team say that they do draft for need? I am always on the lookout for teams that say that they draft for need because at this point... No one ever says that they draft for need. They say that we take the best talent available. We take the top guy on our board, and everyone nods sagely. Yes. Oh, that's very <laughs> wise. Very wise. Does anyone not say that? Does at least with a with a top pick, does anyone say, "Yeah, we really we didn't have a third baseman, so we took a third baseman"? Does anyone admit to that?
2: No, no one really admits to that. But what you know, what teams do is they'll they'll manipulate their board, or they'll manipulate sort of what they're looking for in their draft profiles, where they'll, you know they'll almost set their board up so that um you know like the Yankees getting Lindgren who's a you know a quick moving power armed lefty reliever um you know I think we'd all be shocked if he wasn't sort of pushed through the system quickly and and helping out in the Bronx in short order um you know was he the the absolute best talent on the board well he was he certainly wasn't an indefensible pick there and the Yankees could say, you know, at that point in the draft, what we, what we really thought was the best value was, was relief pitching. And he was the top guy on, on the board for relief, you know, college relievers that could move quickly. So I think teams don't want to come out and say they draft for a need because you don't ever want to be in a position where, you know, someone can point to you, ask, you know, question why you picked a certain guy and say, you know, why did you pass on player X, Y and Z? Um, you know, you want the, you don't want the answer to be well because our big league team needed a, a situational lefty reliever. You want to be well, you know, he just wasn't the top guy on our board. He was close, but he wasn't. And at the end of the day, we made a game time decision. So you put yourself in a tough position if you say you're not taking the best guy available. You you know, it's a little bit of uh, of CYA verbiage, but it's uh, you know, it's, it's just part of the game, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so that is the recap of what has happened so far. You should all go read Nick's chat transcript at BP where he talks about much of the other action that we didn't discuss. He will have a recap up at BP at some point today with all the picks so far. Uh, he will also have a chat on Monday doing a, a draft wrap after all of the rounds are over at 12 PM Eastern. And you can of course follow him on Twitter at Nick J. where he will be giving his live reactions to various picks. So thanks again for joining us, Nick
2: yeah absolutely and uh for for all the listeners here who are following the draft tomorrow on online um i think it's going to be the audio broadcast the a great place to kind of have open while you're listening to it is our uh, mlb video library which has over 300 videos we had all the first rounders we've got you know video of them throughout the the scouting circuit in the spring and it's a great way to get a look at the players that you're you're hearing and reading about your team drafting tomorrow.
0: Yes. So if you want to take a look at your shiny new toy, just go to Baseball (laughs) Prospectus, and you can find a a link to that at the top of the page. All right. So that is it for us this week. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com. Subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30. Please start sending us emails for next week's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild and rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back on Monday.